Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Right, welcome back. Afternoons on News Talk 770. Rob Breckenridge with you. Angela Cocott and Gord Gillies will be in after 3 o'clock, the Friday free-for-all, and then, of course, Calgary today for your drive home. So we head into, should be a gorgeous weekend uh, here in Calgary. All right, very much looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Kelly Oxford has released her second book. It's called When You Find Out the World is Against You and Other Funny Memories About Awful Moments. It's her second book. And it caps off what's been a wild, what, uh, six or seven years for you. Kelly Oxford in studio with us. Author, screenwriter, social media influencer. Yeah. Am I leaving things. anything out? No, that's, that sounds about right. Who's <laughs> <laughs> being a social media influencer involved? That's an interesting title, um, isn't it? Yeah, I think it just involves a lot of people following me. I have uh, about a million in total across all social media. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's, yeah, so once you have that many people, you, you tend to influence them one way or another. Uh, let's let's talk about your story because I think we have a couple things in common. I'm I'm from Edmonton originally, oh, so nice. are you, right? Yeah, yeah. I moved to Calgary in about 2003. When, when I did was you move to Calgary? 2000, 2000. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, it was fall of 2000. Now you went on to move on to to Los Angeles. I, I haven't done that yet. Probably never will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, so you're you're an Alberta girl. Yes. Uh, and so around 2002, when, when did you start blogging? First oh. Of um, I, I mean, I started when I found the internet, uh, which was around 1994. It was about a year before I graduated high school, I believe. Um, my mom got the internet, you know, the, <laughs> do you remember when yes. all the modems made that sound and you had to hook your phone in? So she got one of those and I was like, what is this thing on our computer that's never communicated with anybody else before? And I realized it was a TV and a magazine and a telephone and one. And I was obsessed instantly with a computer. All right. Hang on a second, Kelly, because I'm being told we got some breaking news here. Yeah. All right, thanks for that, Darcy. Uh, we're back here with uh, Kelly Oxford in studio with us, uh, talking about her latest book, When You Find Out the World is Against You. But as we kind of get to that point, now you, you talk about when you first started blogging, those early days uh, of the internet when things were really kind of weird. But then, I mean, having kids kind of yeah. changed your perspective. When, when was your first child born? She was born in 2001 here in Calgary. And so you were basically a stay-at-home mother by that point, I right? Was. Yeah, I was. I chose to stay at home with them. But, it, I mean, it gave you kind of a, a focus. It gave you those those stories yeah. to tell, right? Yeah, and I always uh, told whatever stories were going on in my life. And the kids um, really gave me a lot of material just because yeah. there was there's a lot of time to think when you've got little kids around yeah. <laughs> when you're looking after them. You know, and they, they do give you a lot of material. Um, just watching life develop through another human being's eyes is always fun. Yeah, it is. I, I got two kids. Right. And the same thing is when they were little, I was doing like an evening show at the time. So yeah. I'd be home during the day. My wife would work during the day. So would kind of tag That's off at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's a lot of stuff. And it's like, but it, yeah, I mean, you, you want to tell people about everything that's going on. Yeah. Because they're weird days. Yeah, they're weird days. And I was fortunate enough that I had the outlet and I had, um, 
You know, I had a pretty big uh, audience early on on the internet. I think even in 2000, I had 9,000 people who would get a subscription email every time I would post something online. So I've I've always been fortunate that I've been writing for people and even more fortunate that eventually I got a paycheck for doing that. Yeah, you did. So what was the breakthrough? Was uh, Because people started to take notice of you. But yeah. was it the, the script you wrote? Yeah, it was, I, wrote? yeah I wrote... Um, well, it was actually, you know, agents coming to me and saying they wanted to represent me and, and me saying, oh, I have material because I did go to, you know, classes for, for screenwriting and I did write... Um, you know, just for myself, um, just for catharsis and because I do love to write. And when the agents came and they said, are you actually a writer? Because you're very funny on Twitter. And we heard that Jimmy Kimmel wanted to hire you to be a monologue writer. Um, I said, yeah, I am a writer and I don't know how good I am, but here are my scripts. And the first script that I gave WME, which is my agency, um, we ended up managing to sell to CBS um, within a couple of months. Right, because... You kind of fell into this. Was there a point like early on where you said, you know, I'm going to be a writer? I'm going to do Hollywood and that's what I'm going to do. When I was a kid, you know, I fantasized about being a TV writer, but being Canadian and knowing how hard it is to get a visa and, you know, I would really have had to have gone to school in the States, which is was completely unaffordable to me. Um, I would have had to probably intern, which is completely unaffordable to me. So actually becoming a writer in the States was was I knew realistically not an opportunity that I had as a Canadian unless I broke through somehow. Well, you did. I yeah. mean, it's a good thing it didn't happen this year. It might be tougher. Yeah, across to that border. Yeah, that's right. The, yeah, so it was that's 2012 right. or so, wasn't it? That you moved to LA. Uh, yeah, it was 2012. I moved to LA, and but I started um, selling things in 2009. Yeah. yeah. And what was the transition like, though, making um, that move? Oh, it was fine, you know, because at that point I had such a great um, base of friends, and yeah. I and I knew the city very well because I was traveling back and forth every month and it was just a matter of having my family come with me finally and even I mean so you lived there about five years now yeah right and I mean you grew up in this country you're Canadian but you, I mean you start to take a vested interest in where you live mm-hmm. you start to think of yourself it's kind of like a, a Californian an American yeah. to some extent yeah I do just because um you know my community is there now and I feel very comfortable within my community and my my circle of friends are amazing and and very smart people. I find that, you know, intelligent Americans are some of the greatest people that you can meet the same way intelligent Canadians are. And um, we, especially in Los Angeles, it's a real bubble of, of anti-Trump and it's a real, sure, it's yeah. a real activist, you know, yeah. it's a real activism city, um, you know, no matter what race you are. And, and there are, you know, races, every race is in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's a real pot of people. Um, we all get out there and, and our boots on the ground and stomping around every weekend. There's a protest now, you know, since the election. It's oh, been sure pretty it incredible is. for my kids to be able to witness that. Well, and, and you've been drawn into it because I know certainly issues around sexual assault yeah. are things that are important to you and you've tried to bring to the table, help people have these conversations. And of course, what happened late in the campaign and the tape that emerged to Donald Trump and how you responded on Twitter. I mean, that, that became a huge thing. Yeah, it really did. Um, uh, when I saw the tape of Billy Bush and Donald Trump um, basically discussing sexually assaulting women and and laughing about it and and then you know after that even backing it up and and defending themselves that it was only locker room talk and it, it infuriated me and I um, put a tweet out asking you know explaining my first sexual assault as a child as a twelve year old and asking other women to share their first assaults knowing full well that every woman in my circle of friends had been assaulted or raped. And I knew that that extended beyond my circle of friends and that women were very angry that day. 
and would respond. Um, and they did respond in in full force. I think by you know day four there were. 30, 30 to 40 million responses. Yeah. To that was okay. the, the hashtag not the okay, hashtag right? not okay, yeah. Didn't change the election, no. obviously, but do, but do you think it made a difference? Yeah, I do, because we're still talking about it. And, and you know, I, I've, I know firsthand people have come up to me, uh, you know, uh, every every week telling me that they're happy that I, that I did it or they've shared with, you know, a loved one or a family member about something that had happened to them that, that they had never shared before. Yeah. You know, it's tough because it's it's one thing for us to sit here and, and I think I can have this conversation on, on this show and, and try to bring these issues to the table. But I just, you know, as a parent, you struggle. How do you have these conversations with your kids talking I, yeah. about these things? Um, well, you know, I think that the conversation has to be switched over from telling your girls how to protect themselves to talking to your boys about what consent is and what's acceptable and not acceptable because I think that we've failed in putting all of the responsibility on girls to protect themselves when yeah. boys aren't born monsters. Um, and I don't believe that that a lot of the men that do sexually assault women are monsters by any means. I just think that they're confused um, and maybe trying to seek some, some you know, peer, peer, you know, friends, friendship, whatever it is when they're out and, and hanging out with girls at a young age. And um, I think, you know, for me, with my kids, I've just talked to my son about consent. Um, he's only 13, so I've just got, just, you know, discussed basic um, responsibility and treating women like humans because he does, you know, listen to rap music, and I'm not going to stop him from listening to rap music, but I've discussed the lyrics with him and and how women are viewed and, and made sure that, you know, you can enjoy the music and also respect women at the same time. Yeah, we, we just had that conversation recently about this Netflix show dealing with teen suicide. Right. And rather than say, you know, I'm going to ban this show in my household, you're not allowed to watch that, that can backfire. And right. it's more difficult to have these kinds of conversations, but we got to do it, don't yeah. we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I let my kids watch that show. Yeah. They, they love that show. Yeah. And my daughter, um, who's actually 16, didn't like the show. She thought that, that life was, like. was a lot more stressful than they actually showed on the program. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, hang on. Let's take a quick break here. We'll come back and we'll talk a bit more about the book. It's her second book. Uh, it's out now. It's called When You Find Out the World is Against You and Other Funny Memories About Awful Moments. Kelly Oxford is our guest. We're back with more right after this. All right. We're back. Kelly Oxford is our guest. Talking about her latest book, When You Find Out the World is Against You. Uh, now, it's a collection of uh, different essays, different stories you're sharing. Tell us a bit more about the book. Uh, the book is a collection of stories that I really had in my head, things that I dwelled on probably too long. It's stories of anxiety, <laughs> you know, just stories that, that you run over and over. And I don't know if you do this, but I definitely do this, things that, that upset me in my life um, that I would retell myself or I would recall these stories over and over. And, and I thought for this book, um, it, it would be the same. They're the same sort of stories as the first book, but but it was more of a, a point of view of an adult seeing their anxiety um, and, and also making fun of myself right. for my anxiety. Well, I mean, look, I mean, people are going to laugh when they read the book. Yeah, it's a funny <laughs> book, but it definitely is, is a neurotic book. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that therapeutic? Yes. To write about this stuff? Absolutely. Yeah, I wrote the whole book basically for me, and I'm just happy people are enjoying <laughs> that it. Works totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I would think that would be a difficult process. Yeah, it know? definitely was difficult. But but part of that is is just getting the story out and um, 
and then leaving it on the page and not dwelling on things anymore for me. Does it make you think how kind of society has changed and how, and you know, can compare ourselves to our kids, say, well, you know, when I was that age, man, I was a real mess. Or, right. you know, if I were alive today as a 15-year-old, well, maybe I would be a lot different. Yeah, right? I think so. I know with my kids, um, you know, being 16 and 13 and watching movies that were popular when I was a teenager, like, you know, movies from the 80s and 90s, teen movies. Yeah. They don't understand why everybody's so angry or how crazy they are. Right. They Like, I showed my daughter Heather's when she was 14, and she was like, oh, my God, this was a teen movie? Like, this is this is a crazy... You guys were yeah. crazy back then. <laughs> and recently, I've been, you know, toying with the idea that maybe these kids today feel more autonomous because they have all of this technology at their fingertips and they can talk to their friends all the time. Because I know that with my kids, they, they're in constant contact with their friends through Snapchat, sending each other oh, stories. Yeah, yeah. They're FaceTiming each other nonstop. They know where their friends are. But for us, we had we were kind of jailed with our parents nonstop. And if you got that phone call, you better be home when you get that phone call or you're going to miss your friend. Um and it was it was a lot more restrictive. Our lives were much more restricted. It was hard to figure out who we were as individuals because we weren't able to communicate with our friends mm-hmm. as much as our children are able to communicate with their friends. I really believe that my kids are a lot happier because they can be at home and safe with me, but in contact with their friends and know what everybody's doing and communicate with them. Yeah. Well, there's that balance, right, we try to strike between giving them enough freedom, but not too much. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we're perceived to be the helicopter parents this generation. Right. What would you make of that? Um, I mean, I'm definitely uh, a helicopter parent in the, physically where I want them to be close to home with their friends at our house, if possible, or at, you know, maybe one or two other parents' houses. Um, but I, I don't, I, I find that people are actually, our generation of parents are pretty loose with yeah. letting their kids go out and do things. And I think that maybe technology is a part of that too. They're, they're basically chipped with the GPS at all times. Like when you move to Los Angeles... Does that give you some level of paranoia as a parent? It <laughs> did at the beginning. Right? Yeah, once they started once they started going out on their own and doing things. It's I mean, the first time they took the the subway downtown by themselves, I was I mean, there were there were four or five 16-year-olds and my 13-year-old was with them and the subway's close to our house. They took the subway downtown. And I was horrified. And then I started getting pictures of them at the Broad and they were oh, yeah. looking at all this great art. And I was like, what was I was so paranoid about? Yeah. They're like, they're at one of the greatest museums in the world right now. What a great city for them to be in. So, so that you just have to, it's like any place really, you just have to let the leash go a little bit and mm-hmm. see what comes back. Yeah. And what do they make of what mom does? Um, but they, they, they're interested in it. They're, they're, they don't really care though. The kids don't really care too much about what their parents do. I'm sure there's a bit of, of pride in, in knowing that I, you know, work in entertainment and they're all very interested in entertainment. It's, if, yeah. if it wasn't a passion of theirs, um, all of my kids are very interested in the film industry and writing and, and, and reading. Um, I don't think they'd be that interested in what I do, but because their passions are similar to mine, they are. But when you write a book like this, do you have in the back of your head that my kids are going to read this at some point? Yeah. Um, no, I don't. No, yeah. I don't. And then and that would just, you know, screw anybody over in their creative process <laughs> if they thought about their kids the whole time. No, they're not that interested. I mean, it's yeah. still mom. <laughs> like how, exactly. how dorky would they be if they were just sitting around reading their reading mom's book? book. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, so what's next for you? Um, a lot of stuff, you know, as a writer, you've got to have five jobs at the same time to be able to pay your rent. So, um, 
I've got a show in development at Hulu with um, James Franco and Seth Rogen. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, and this year coming out um, is a James Franco movie that he directs and stars in called The Disaster Artist, and uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg hired me to be the on-set writer for that, and while I was there... Franco put me in the movie for a little bit, and I ended up being in every scene with Seth Rogen, which is like a person's dream come true. Yeah, for the those first two movie guys then. seem like fascinating guys. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're. I mean, Seth is is a a genius. I had no idea. He's just one of those people that's so smart and so level headed and grounded and never wrong. I call him the professor of psychology. Um, any note he gives on a character is always dead on. He's very smart, and Franco is an amazing collaborator. He's the kind of guy that just wants to know everything, asks a million amazing questions, um, and really learns from things. And he was a great collaborator on the movie. So you, you're like in the Writers Guild, and you were almost like yeah. on strike, right? What happened with that? Yeah, there's no strike. Everything's God. good? Yeah, they settled it out. Oh, I was yeah. so worried when I came up here. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to make any money. Did that happen after you'd already gone on the, the Yeah, book it happened the, two days ago. I found out All right. <laughs> there wasn't going to be a strike and texted every single person that All I right. knew. Back All kinds of good things happening. Then the book is yeah. called <laughs> When You Find Out the World is Against You. Kelly Oxford, it's been great. Thanks so much yeah, for coming thank in you here. for having me. All right, there you go. we got to take a quick break here. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.